0: we enter this kind of last sermon of 2017 you know I always think what how do you end a year especially as you come out of Christmas and this is probably one of those I don't know probably one of my favorite Sundays ever because we just came out of Christmas and this is the last day of this year and so to kind of in cap what we've heard through the, the gospel of Jesus being born and, and the glory that was going to be shown through God's love for the world, wrapped in Jesus Christ, the Savior, I started thinking, how do you end cap it? I mean, last week we, we talked about Jesus' birth and, and how the shepherds got to proclaim it and Mary treasured it and God was starting a new work for his people. And so this week I wanted to just jump ahead in Scripture with you guys. Luke chapter 4. Uh, If you want to start finding your way there, Luke chapter 4 verse 16 is where we're going to read today. But to kind of get you to why this is about to happen and what leads up to this moment, I want to go back in Scripture, you can stay there in Luke, to Leviticus. Um, of all places, Leviticus 25. We, if you've ever read Leviticus, I encourage you to grab a concordance or someone to help you through it because there's a whole lot of law all through Leviticus. It's God kind of trying to show his people, if you can follow after me, I can bless your life. and And so all through Leviticus, we get different feasts and different practices and different sacrifices. And and it's all God setting up a remembrance, a constant remembrance of who God is for the people so that they could celebrate Him with their whole lives. Uh, you may get to Leviticus in your reading and go, I'm just going to skip over Leviticus. I encourage you not to. In fact, I encourage you to become a student of Leviticus. Write down when you see a feast because it duplicates and repeats itself later as Moses reminds the people of it. In fact, in the book of Joshua, it says that Joshua, after they've battled and fought all these cities off, he goes back and he rewrites all that he heard again and recites it to the people so that they would remember what they're to do to practice what God has called them to do. If it matters to Joshua, it should matter to us. We need to know the fullness of Scripture, and here's why. In Leviticus 25, uh, there's this practice that happens at the end of every seventh year. It's this time of jubilee, It's a time where people would, after seven years of having a slave or a debt or a prisoner, would release them of that debt, their slavery, or their prison. At the end of seven years, there was a huge celebration that was going to happen because things would be broken free. And it was was supposed to be something that was practiced every time. And and there was this huge moment of relief that happens at the end of the seven-year cycle that God wanted his people to practice. And so if you could just imagine people that felt oppressed, people that felt discouraged, people that felt alone, people that felt imprisoned, into seven years their jail cell would open, their debt would be forgiven, their slavery would be ended, and it would be a time of celebration into seven years. And so all of this plays a part in where we're going to read today because when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's going to read something pretty impressive. So let's read it together. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It says this. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So he goes back home. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So we know that Jesus went to church on the Sabbath. He never avoided it. And he stood up and read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found a place where it is written, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fixed on him. He began by saying to them, today, as you listened, the scripture was fulfilled. It is a crazy moment in the synagogue this morning. Because what happens is, Jesus is quoting from a book of Isaiah, Isaiah 61 where it talks about the Messiah's jubilee. It is when the Messiah would come and would alleviate the hurt and the pain and the suffering of his people. Now, they believed that this would be a Messiah that would come with a sword. And believe me, if those of y'all that have studied Scripture, y'all know there will be a time where Jesus does come with a sword. Right? So this is not that moment. Jesus is coming to reach the spiritual need before he brings the revenge need of sin, lostness versus holiness in Christ. So as we get this moment, he is reading for him a jubilee moment that Jesus does to relieve his people of oppression. So you can hear Jesus talking in the book of Luke as he reads back to Isaiah. And as Isaiah read back all the way to Leviticus, do you see it that Jesus fulfilled not only those things that happened in the first and the New Testament, but he fulfills all of the Old Testament as well. When Jesus shows up on the scene that day uh, that he's born, he starts the clock of fulfillment of things that only the Messiah could do. Every prophecy fulfilled by Jesus, every one. So it's not just that Jesus was born on Christmas Day in a little town of Bethlehem to a virgin. That alone would be significant. I mean, that's not done. It doesn't happen. But here's the fact, Jesus keeps fulfilling stuff that's still to be. And so here he is in chapter 4. And what he says is so important because it's something that we have to take with us as we end this Christmas season and into the new year. Why did Jesus say he came? Why did Jesus say that he shows up? And so let's look at it together. And I want to start by just saying this. Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Jesus' anointing is on his people. It's on us. Those of y'all that are in Christ, he has covered you and readied you to be a part of what he's doing. He wants to invite you into what he's being a part of. He wants to invite you into his work. He doesn't want you to be a bystander. Jesus isn't calling his church to stand by and watch. He's calling his church to come and be a part of what he's doing. Jesus has a bride, and his bride is an active one. His bride is not a retired one. It's active and alive, and it touches lives and it changes the world. Because you know why? It's married to the Savior of it. You know what's amazing is this. The bride can't do any saving. Never once in Scripture does it say the church saves anyone. Never once. It never gives the church that priority. What it does say is this. The bride should always introduce the world to their husband. Man, I'll tell you, there's nothing more in the world I enjoy than when I run into somebody from my youth. As I was growing up, we moved from town to town, and, and now that I'm married and have a family, I'll, I'll run into someone every once in a while and go, hey, Kyle Clayton, you probably don't remember me, which is always a true story. I'm like, I'm glad you know who I am because this is really creepy. And, and they'll say, oh, I was your dad's friend or a, a cousin or something. You're like, oh cool. Have you met my wife? You know what happens when I say that? I don't know their name a lot of times. And so when I say, have you met my wife? They'll go, oh, hey, I'm so-and-so. And And then my brain starts going, click, 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 click. There's the name. You know what's crazy is this. The church is called to always introduce the groom. You know why? We're in love with him. He changed our world. Has Christ changed your life? Has Jesus changed your world? If he has, then it means that you and I must be active not to be him, because we can't, but to introduce the world to him. The way we talk, the way we have our actions, the way we are faithful to our church, the way we read our Bible and let Scripture speak over us and pray diligently, all of that makes a, a serum in our life, if you will. That when the moment comes that you are pressured or you have opportunities to talk about Jesus, that's what will come out of you. You can almost test this with your life. So do me a favor. Go home a little bit later today. Grab a nail and a hammer and a piece of wood. Find yourself alone. And start nailing that nail into the wood and slightly hit your thumb. What comes out of you next will determine what's been poured into you. Don't believe me? Allow your kid to stand next to you. Because I can just tell you as a dad, as a parent, the people that love you the most will respond for you if you don't. Because they know what's been poured into you as well. Because you poured into them without even knowing. That's what happens with life. Whatever you pour into yourself constantly is what comes out of you when pressure hits. That's why when you squeeze an orange, watermelon juice doesn't come out. Because it's full of orange juice. All that's in it is orange, because that's what's been poured into it by God. And when you're squeezed and when things happen in your world, what comes out of you is the determining of what you've poured into you. That's why we needed Jesus. Because outside of Jesus, there is nothing good in us that squeezes out. All that's going to come out of us when we're squeezed or when pressure happens or when life occurs will be us. And the world doesn't need more of us. In fact, the world can replicate us. There can always be a better you. Let's just be honest. Probably the smartest person in this room, there's someone smarter than you today. The most athletic, there's probably somebody more athletic. Right? I mean, let's just be honest. There's always someone out there that's going to do something better than you are. And if not right now, give it a year. Uh, Just yesterday, uh, a running back for a team, just uh, as a freshman, outran every freshman ever in rushing yards. Yesterday. No records ever unbeatable or unbreakable. So even the greatest that we think, the greatest that we celebrate is beatable except for one. There has never, ever been a person on the planet that's lived a perfect life. Except for Jesus. There's never been anyone on the planet that died for the sins of the world except for Jesus. There's never been anyone risen from the grave for the sake of the sins of the world except for Jesus. So when Jesus walks into the temple that day, he doesn't think that there's an accident that's about to happen and the book of Isaiah is going to be handed to him. He walks in and waits his turn to read. And Jesus turns, shows up, and they pass him a scroll. It could have been any scroll. It it really could have been Genesis. But they they pull a scroll, and they hand it to Jesus, and Jesus knows what's about to be handed to him. And he rolls up to the front, he unrolls the scroll, and he gets out the reader wand. Not like Harry Potter, but just a follow along. and, And he begins to read. And it's not even a coincidence that it happens to be the scroll that contains this book in Isaiah, Isaiah 61. It could have been Isaiah 32. But he gets Isaiah 61. You know why? Because God's showing up in, in the synagogue that day. And so Jesus unrolls it, and he's ready to read. And he starts. And he reads the most profound moment in history. He reads the Messiah's Jubilee. He is about to read that the Messiah is about to set people free and that they should start celebrating that. I mean, at some point, the synagogue, which is probably very conservative and, and they probably sat on their hands in worship. I mean, you got to know this wasn't like a, a modern-day worship service where uh, Chris Tomlinian got up on the stage and, and led in worship. It, it's, it's pretty calm and organized, And Jesus walks up and he unrolls the scroll and he reads this, the spirit of the Lord is on me. That alone would be heresy. But that's where he starts. And what he says next is, I want to show you why I'm here. So here we go. Number one, to preach the good news to the poor. Our calling is to preach the good news. This poor is not those without money. This poor is those that don't have any inheritance in God. We are to preach the good news because it is exactly what God called us to do. So here's my thing. You don't have to be a preacher to preach the good news. You don't have to be able to stand next to your coworker and go, excuse me, let me grab a pulpit right quick, and I'd like for you to sit down. And at the end, I would like for you to take an offering. Uh, So if, if you'd take care of that, that'd be awesome. And preaching sure the good news is sharing what God's done in your life and showing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Amen. But listen, that's not where he ends. He says this, to proclaim freedom to the captives. You and I are to proclaim freedom. Have you ever seen someone that's gone through a lifetime of separation from God, and as an adult they give their life to Christ? I can just tell you that those people start to proclaim freedom. Because it's the first time in their life they've ever experienced it. Maybe today you've gone through your whole life. I I want adults to catch this because I think too often we just preach the gospel to our youngest. But we need Jesus. As adults, we need that freedom in Christ. And if you don't know him as Savior and Lord today, today is your day. Today is the day that you get freedom in Christ. Because outside of him, we're shackled to the ways of this world. And wherever it takes you, you're going to follow it. And at the end of the day, when you're squeezed, you will squeeze the world. I'm reminded of this constantly that our current set of standards in the world is this. As long as it makes me feel good, it must be right. And that is a poor standard by which to live by because it's only a generation away from the worst of it feeling right. We, we have messed up the version of what love looks like and we've declared love can look however it wants and that's a that's a lie it's either God's standard or the world's standard and where do you want to fall when you're squeezed see I want to fall into God's standards I want him to lead my life I want him to change the way I see the world constantly but the only way to do that is to live in freedom so that others know what it looks like I guarantee you at the end of that seven years when the gates were opened, when slaves were freed, when debts were forgiven, people knew what freedom felt like. They knew what it looked like to walk as a freed person, a, a person without burden, a, a person without a master. You know what's crazy about all that is this. We have somewhere along the lines forgotten what it looks like to be free in Christ. Instead, we, we live our lives in complete control of the world with the love of Jesus. Rather than being completely in love and in Christ. So at the end of the day, we look just like the world. The only difference is this. We waste our Sundays coming here. And so the lost world goes, why are you going to church? I don't know. That's what I've always done. It's where my mom goes. Well, why go? Well, I don't know. Instead of this, because Jesus showed up on the Sabbath. so So am I. Because I'm in love with that guy. He's changed my life. I want to be like him in everything I can. I, he's changed my life so much that at the end of my life, when I see him face to face, he's gonna, he and I are going to be close, man. you got to know, I want to do as much as I can to look more and more like him all the time I can and let God change me into his image. That's why we show up. That's why God's changed our lives, is so that we can look more and more like Christ. And so not only does Jesus say to preach the good news, not only does he say to proclaim freedom, but then he says something. He says to recover the sight to the blind. Now, I want to just kind of show what this looks like in context. Uh, Scholars have debated this next statement time and time again. Does Jesus, you know, give sight to blind people? Yes, he does. Is that what Jesus is talking about from this book of Isaiah? And it's absolutely not. It's those that eyes were blinded to the gospel that are now open because Jesus shows up. Our job is to make the path clear. We're to make sure that the path to Christ is clear, even of us. It seems like too often we find ourselves in Pharisee land rather than followers of Christ land, where we tell people, you need to come to Christ, but you're going to have to go through me first. You're going to have to abide by my rules. You're going to have to abide by my standards. You're going to have to abide by everything I tell you to do so you can come to Christ. And Jesus is like, you are not the way, you are not the truth, and you are not the life, so get out of the way. I am the saving part of this scenario. It means this, that a man who is on trial uh, in a death trial for killing people, while in prison, someone shares Christ with him and he comes to know Christ, Can Christ forgive his sins? Yes, he can. Christ can forgive his sins. You know why? Because Jesus is big. Now, let's change the story. What if it's your family? Can Christ forgive his sins? Yes, he can. Do you like it? No, you don't like it. Let's be honest. We don't like that guy at all. We hope that he goes to the other place because that would be justice for us. But our ways are not God's ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. God is so much greater than we could ever be. He is a loving God, a compassionate God who sent Jesus to pay the price for every sin. The most heinous and the most forgettable. You know, in Leviticus, God tells the people there's two types of sins. Those committed willfully and those committed unwillfully. Those kind of sins that we pass over and those that are you know, planned out. Both sins had to be covered by a gift or an offering before God. And both sins had to be met by the blood of Christ for us. That means this. While you may see that prisoner on trial for the death of one of your family members... Jesus sees your sin and says your sin can separate you from the love of God. And it demanded Jesus' blood. Jesus loved the world so much that he willfully died for our sins. He gave himself up for us. He could have stopped. He could have gone, I'm done. In fact, if you remember the garden moment where Jesus prayed praying and he says to God, May this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. At that moment, Jesus could have said, not my will, don't care about your will. But that wouldn't have been Jesus. See, the Jesus that I serve had a crisis of humanity versus godliness. And he chose godliness. He was all man. Which means this, that on the cross, he felt the nails. He felt the crown of thorns, he felt the whippings, he felt the scorn, he felt the separation from God, he felt it because he was all man. But he willfully did that because while he was all man, he was all God and he knew that we needed him. So when we make the path clear, we quit setting standards for people to meet before Christ. We quit telling them, listen, if you're going to come to know Christ, when you show up on Sunday, you need to wear a nicer shirt. Man rules. Hey, when you show up at church, you're going to have to do these following things. Man rules. Do you see it? Scripture is our guide and what it says we follow. Everything else, man rules. It makes the path harder for people to come to know Christ. So we've got to make the path clear. We've got to allow sight to happen. The next is this, we set the oppressed free. We just talked that Jesus came to proclaim freedom. And now he's going to set the oppressed free. Look at it with me. Verse 18 again, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, and set uh, free the oppressed. That means this. In our lives, we will have pressure from the enemy. We will. It's It's a fact of life. Even after Christ, the enemy still doesn't like you. He's going to come after you. But listen, we don't have to live that way. We can live in freedom. In Jesus, we have complete freedom because he died for us. Not just for the sins of then, but for our freedom going onward. He wants us to live in freedom. But he doesn't just stop there. He then says this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Seven years. You imagine? You imagine how long that must have felt? To be that indebted, to be that enslaved, to be that imprisoned. And to hear the shackles fall, and the note torn, and the bars opened. And to hear, You are free. Don't come back. This is the hardship of Christian life. So many of us have walked with Christ through turbulent times because of our disobedience. And because that we have faced on this side of heaven some really, it seems like, insurpassable moments. Where it feels like we are captive, feels like we are broken, feels like we are troubled. And with all of those things, it felt like we couldn't move on only to find that God has set us free. In the U.S., they say something like 60% of convicts will return back to being convicts again. They will leave their prison cells and go into ordinary life and do something to go right back again. you imagine that? To have been incarcerated and then brought into freedom only to, to decide I'd rather live incarcerated than out here. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. You and I were called to be free. Galatians tells us this, that we shouldn't use our freedom to indulge the sinful nature, but rather serve one another in love. That's our calling, is that we wouldn't just go back to ourselves, but when we're broken free, we start to celebrate as people freed by God. That you and I would start to see our lives in Christ when we have forgiven and he's broken us away from tyranny and oppression, that we start to live our lives in the fullness of that freedom. That for the first time, our lips start to understand that they're no longer in shackles and we can smile about Christ. That for the first time when we open our Bible, it's not so that we can answer that our friends are going to ask us about it, but we can go to our scripture and go, this is where I get the life that I need. That we don't just pray to say that we prayed, but that we talk to our God who has freed us up. As Jesus reads this passage, People had read this passage before time and time again. This is not the first time in a synagogue that Isaiah 61 was read. But it just happens to be that that day as Jesus walks in, he's given this very text. And as he reads it, he has to know these people don't even know yet that that's before them is the Messiah. So as he reads it, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. They had to have been thinking back to the year of Jubilee. They're scholars in this room. They hear it. They, they know what it looks like. They no longer practice it. But here they are. They hear it again. They hearken back to that moment, and he says he rolls it back up, hands it to the attendant, and sits down. In the eyes of everybody in the synagogue, because never before has anybody read this with this much conviction, this much passion, this much personal moment. Everybody keeps looking at Jesus as he sits. And he just says to them a profound sentence, "'Today as you listened, this scripture has been fulfilled.'" This is the first time that worship and revival has ever broken out at this synagogue because before them sits the Messiah, the liberator of the oppressed. And he just simply declares to them Do you want freedom? That's the question we have to answer today. Do we want freedom in Christ? Do we really want to live with him as the Lord of our lives, that he would take us and move us into a freedom stance, that as we live our lives, we can live free from oppression, free from tyranny, free from all these things, or are we just stuck in this constant cycle of feeling like, well, we're just like everyone else. Those in Christ are not like everyone else. They're free. You, my brothers, were called to it. Because Jesus died for it. We're to live in it and we are to share it wherever we go. You were called to be free because of Jesus. He is the freer of people, He is the tearing down of oppression. He can liberate the world, He wants to liberate you. Will you let Him today? What's more, is if you are free in Christ, you're to take the very nature of why Jesus came and live it out. To make clear the path, to show the greatness of the gospel, and to bring the oppressed into that freedom. Introduce them to Jesus. He'll do the rest. You don't have to have it perfected, you don't have to have something memorized. Just share with them what Jesus did for you, and He can do it for them. He always has. He always will, because he's the only one that can do it. So let's proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let's declare, Lord, when you're in charge, you always show your favor. That's how things work. So may God, may you move. Move in our lives and in the lives of everyone around us. As you set the captives free. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask God that you would move in this place. God, you're holy and you're awesome. God, you're mighty. And so, God, we pray and ask, Lord, that you would move in this place, God, that you would set people free today. Lord, we're living in a time and in a place, God, where it seems like everybody's living under fear of something, oppressed by something, captive by something, even inside the walls of the church, God, which it should have never been that way. God, you've called us to freedom in you. So God, may we exhibit that today. May we show the people around us what it looks like when Christians live in what you've called us to do. Lord, as the new year approaches, we lay behind all the things that have always held us down. And today, we lay it at your feet. Lord, we want to be free in you. We want to be changed by you. Lord, we just declare you are the Messiah. You are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. And if we want that freedom, it only comes through you. So may you move this morning as you free us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.